Hey college kids, this is part two of my interview with Shreya, so if you have not checked out part one, make sure to do so. That's like the other half of her high school experience, so and some very crucial information there, so make sure you do not miss that. Also, make sure to check out my website, collegerealitycheck.com, for more college-related content. I immediately talked to him after the lecture and I was like, this is so great. Like I would love to intern at your lab. And I also emailed him right after as well with like my resume and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause I knew like when I heard about that, I was like, that is literally incredible. Like that is so much fun. The coolest thing I've ever heard. Oh my God. Right. And it's in biomedical engineering as well. So I was like, this is perfect. Thankfully, since there were only like 15 to 20 of us, there wasn't raging competition for like internships. And they also like these professors weren't coming there with the intent of offering internships. They were coming there to inspire us basically Mm -hmm. about the cool applications of biomedical engineering that exist in the real world. So when I reached out to him via email and I also talked to him, he's very enthusiastic. Um, I got in touch with him and one of his PhD students. We set up a little meeting, came into the lab for the first time that September after iSpeed was over and the school year had started. And I basically just started working there. So right now I'm doing a project for them that has to do with weightlifting. So obviously this type of research that I talked about is like cutting edge technology. It's being done all around the world, but I really wanted some sort of introduction to sensors because ultimately what it comes down to is sensors. How are you recording these brain signals? How are you translating them to muscle movement and like stimulation? So I wanted a project that worked with sensors. And I also wanted something that had a little bit of like relatability to high schoolers. So right now, the project that I'm working on, I designed a motion sensing node that's placed on different limbs in the body and it collects data on weightlifting form and stance and it provides live vibrational feedback. So essentially, if you're doing like a weighted squat, there's these little, I probably actually have one like here, look, they're right here. (laughs) I mean, I'm just showing you because the camera won't be able to see it. (laughs) I have they look a little something like this. Uh-huh. This is a printed circuit board that I designed in a software um, just like this. It has a battery, a Arduino Nano, a NRF, which is a wireless transmission module, a switch, a vibration motor right here, and a motion sensor. Essentially what this does is that it talks to my computer when it's plugged in and strapped on. And what it's able to do is it basically collects coordinates for where it is in relation to everything else, to the other limbs. And if that those coordinates are out of line with where that limb should be when you're performing a weighted exercise, it vibrates, it buzzes. So as you're actually performing the exercise, you get vibrational feedback to be like, oh, your right knee is bent too far or your right knee is out of line. You're splaying it outwards, bring it back in. Yeah, so that's the project that I'm working on right now. It has a lot to do with sensors, and this was number two in my activities list, this project that I'm working on. I'm writing the paper for it currently. might be published, might not be published. I'm really not sure about that. But this was number two, and then iSpeed was number three. After that came um, debate. But these two and three slots iSpeed literally paved the way for me to be able to apply into biomedical engineering because mm-hmm. It's such a trendy field right now. So many people are applying into BME that it's super common to get people who want to go into BME, but they don't even really know what it is. Like they don't really know what that field is. So to be able to say that I have 
a year and a half of solid biomedical engineering experience already when applying into college, I feel like that really made the difference between getting into a lot of these schools versus not. And it definitely 100% made the difference between getting into Hopkins BME and not. That is so cool. That's amazing. All right. So let's go through, if you want, you can just kind of speed through what other extracurriculars you wrote for your, if you did write any for your five through 10 slots, you don't have to get into them unless you want to. Yeah, I, so I, let me just pull it up really quickly because I don't have, I don't think I have them like off the top of my head. Okay, first, uh, okay, number five, I'm going to start after that. I wanted to focus this part of my application on service because I feel like it was just very like academic, academic, academic. Mm -hmm. So I did a donation drive for school supplies for Howard County People Personnel Services through a program called Leadership U. And we were the equity and education team. So we were focused on handling disparities in access to educational resources throughout Howard County. So I put that donation drive as I believe number five on here. After that, I was the steering committee student representative for that same organization, Leadership Howard County. And I was selected as one of two of the graduates to represent the student voice and basically help them make decisions for future years of that program to run successfully. That was number six. Mm -hmm. After that, I put STEM and BUDS as number seven. It's something that I've been a part of for, I think, three years now. It's an international organization, but it's based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Essentially, what it does is it tries to combat um, you know, when you're like up to middle school, everyone takes the same classes, everyone's doing the same thing. And then when you get to high school, you're immediately asked to pick between like dozens of APs, hundreds of clubs, so many different extracurriculars. Yeah. Oftentimes you're just like, I, I don't even know what I want to do. How am I supposed to pick which classes to take and which clubs to take? So it's basically targeted to help students bridge that gap in uh, STEM specifically by providing them with high school mentors. So I was a regional, regional director for this organization. And what I did is I established clubs at four or five different high schools in Howard County. They partnered with elementary and middle schools that feed into their high school and all participating elementary and middle school students basically get matched with a high school mentor. Okay. The for it's throughout the year. There's they basically hold 12 after school sessions with these kids. The first six just kind of introduce them to different aspects of STEM. For example, like intro to computer science might have them doing a little bit of scratch, or intro to engineering might have them building something, biology, mm-hmm. chemistry, um, really anything like that, environmental science, maybe. Introduction to these like core pillars of STEM is like the first six sessions throughout the year. That usually ranges from I want to say like October to February or October to March. After that, the next six after school sessions, these kids are encouraged to find their own area of interest to be like, oh, I really like biology or I really like CS. And then choose some sort of real world problem to tackle based on the interests that they've chosen. Their mentors work with them one-on-one afterwards to formulate research question, create a hypothesis, collect data, and then eventually around May to create a display board for like a science fair that they'd host um, at the end of the year to show off all their hard work to Howard County, like students, parents, faculty. So I was a regional director for this organization, which means that I, first of all, established these four or five high school chapters that we have right now. And then once those chapters were established, helped the region or the chapter heads of these regions to uh, kind of navigate how to do all of this, help them with curriculum, advertising, getting in contact with different schools. So it was a kind of a cool project. It was something different. I'd never done anything like this before. And it was a really great experience overall, I'd say. Mm-hmm. After that, 8, 9, 10, I'd say they were a little bland compared to the other ones. <laughs> um, I was, for 
those of you who know HCASC is the Howard County Association of Student Councils. For junior year, I was the chair of the STEM committee for that organization. We basically just worked on pushing initiatives out to uh, the student body, but they were more student-led initiatives. So for example, if somebody wanted to do a science fair or if somebody wanted to start a magazine for STEM or something like that, then we'd push those initiatives out to students and essentially just kind of help them have a resource for advertising their material and then help students have a way to receive that material. Okay. Um, I also did mock trial for actually all four years. This is kind of surprising that it's so low on the list. It's primarily low because I didn't have any quantifiable things to say that I did a mock trial. Yes, I was on the team for four years. I was an attorney for two and a witness for two, but essentially like I didn't do anything very incredible in mock trial. I didn't have awards or anything to show besides like one award I won in freshman year. So that's why I was kind of low. And the last thing is club athletics. I was a swimmer for six years, competitive swimmer for six years. I had to stop because of COVID and my little brother was like three or four at the time. So even when my swim team renewed practices, there weren't vaccines out for him. So I couldn't go back to swimming for like a year and a half or two years just because he was so young. And so because of that, by the time that I could have gone back to swimming after he was vaccinated, it was junior year. I was getting into internships. People had already been in the pool for a year more than I had. Like it just didn't end up working out, but I did swim competitively for six years. And that was something that was a really big part of my schedule and also my identity. So I wanted to put it on there and I explained the situation and like the additional information section of my common app as well. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's a very impressive wealth of extracurriculars. So now. You've you've done a great job at describing throughout high school. So let's actually move on to the college application, yeah, morning colleges and stuff like that. So I'm gonna let you take it from here before I ask too many questions. So one, when did you start thinking about your specific colleges? Not just like I know how we are in Howard County. Which top ten school am I gonna apply to? Stuff like that, right? <laughs> yeah. um, when did you seriously start thinking about colleges? Did you and how did you go about it? Did you go like touring? Um, did you go on websites and stuff? And then in the end, what did you solidify your list down to? So basically, I would say that a lot of it had. I definitely agree that Howard County has a lot of that like prestige factor. You want to be the person that gets into the best school from your grade or whatever. Like you definitely are running after that prestige for me, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. My best bet, like, for example, if I knew that I wanted to go into biomedical engineering, I would have ED to Hopkins hands down just because that is indisputably the number one BME program in the country. Yes. Yes, there is a financial burden of it, but Thankfully, my family was in a position where all the sacrifices they'd made was for college, moving here, mm-hmm. going through immigration, getting a house here, being citizens, giving up our Indian visa, green card, getting a green card, all the stuff boiled down to this. It was college. It was improving the educational opportunities of their children. So my parents never, ever put a limit on what it is that I could do. They never told me like, we want you to dream big, but ultimately you're going to UMD or anything like that. It was, it was entirely dependent on what I could achieve for myself. And I feel like that was also a really big motivator that drove me to even building up a resume that allowed me to get into a lot of these schools. So because I didn't have the clarity in my mind of what exactly it is I wanted to do, things became a little bit more difficult because I was like, each school is number one for a different thing. I don't know which one to apply to. 
You know, like if it was CS, probably would have ED to Carnegie Mellon, maybe. If it was whatever business, maybe would have ED to UPenn Wharton. Like it's different things all around. But because I didn't have that clarity, it was a lot of kind of applying to very well-rounded schools. And fortunately or unfortunately, well-rounded schools tend to be the T10s. That's why they're T10, because they're good at everything. Mm -hmm. So at the I probably started thinking very seriously about college in around summer before senior year. It was always on my mind, but ultimately the summer before senior year was when I was actively like thinking about like, okay, I need to solidify my list. I need to figure out where I'm applying to, so on and so forth. I got it down to 16 schools that I applied to overall, which is yes, a lot. But in my mind, because again, I didn't have the clarity, applying, putting in the effort on the front end and just applying to these schools and then having options later on was more preferable to me. So that's why I applied to so many, but I can just run through the list of all the schools that I applied to. Mm -hmm. So I applied to Johns Hopkins in BME, Harvard, Georgia Tech, MIT, Stanford, UCLA, UC Berkeley, Duke, UPenn, Columbia, UMich, Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Princeton, UMD, and Yale. So in this one, UMD was my safety, but I didn't apply. Like I didn't really have safeties. I just really only applied to UMD because going in, it was like, if I don't get into one of these schools, I'm going to UMD. Like I'm not going to go to an out of state public school. As a Maryland student, it's like, would I go to this school over UMD? No. Would no. I go to this school? No. And Maryland is a really good school. Yeah, because it's, it's nationally ranked. And there are people coming from like all around the country to go to UMD. So yeah. by no means is UMD like a bad school to have yeah, yeah. a fallback option. It's just that I can't for myself justify paying the amount of money that it takes to go to an out-of-state public school. Yes, exactly. It, exactly. it just didn't make sense for me. So I applied to all these schools. I did four early. I did not ED anywhere, by the way. I didn't do early decision anywhere. I did do early action for all the schools that had it. So I did UMD, UMich, MIT, and Georgia Tech. Those are my four earlies. All the other 12, I did regular decision with the exception of the two UCs that have a separate deadline um, on their own. Okay. Out of those, there was a very clear distinction about like which ones I would actually go to versus which ones I was just applying for the sake of applying, which is like a whole different thing that I could talk about too. Sure. Okay. Let, I was going to talk about your, um, most of those schools are common app. I know MIT has their like own application and stuff. I was going to talk about that and then how you came to a decision. But if you want to talk about that first. I, I get, yeah. So basically there were, like I said, I... My parents are both immigrants. They didn't go through the American college process here. Mm-hmm. So when I would see my friends being like, they would talk about any school that's like a good school, but it's not a school that immigrant parents would know, which is such a weird <laughs> distinction to have in my yeah. head. But like to, for me, like the biggest example probably would be a school like, honestly, a school like Georgia Tech. It's a really good school yes. and everybody knows it's a really good school, but my parents, parents like walking into the college <laughs> process, they knew Harvard, they knew MIT, they knew Stanford and they knew UMD. Like that, that was it. Maybe they knew like UPenn, Cornell, Yale, maybe, but that was basically it. These other schools, I, it was basically me and my dad that worked on college apps the most. And I, sometimes I would just be fighting with him to be like, this is a good school. You just don't real." he's like, is it better than MIT? Sure. And it'd be like, no, then don't apply. Like 
If it was up to him, I would have applied to five schools. Uh-huh. Those would be, no, four. MIT, Stanford, Harvard, and UMD. Uh-huh. And I would have gone to UMD because I got rejected from all the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was, it, there was a distinction between schools that I was applying to versus schools that I would actually go to. And uh-huh. some of them, it was just like, my parents would just be like, that's not worth it. Go to UMD. Like UMD yeah, would like be over. It was on the other end of the scale was always UMD. Any school that I wanted to apply to, it had to be weighed against UMD. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. I know exactly what you mean. Like, my dad, he knows so much about the college process because he did a lot of research. But before, yeah. it was the same way. He was like, the Holy Trinity of Ivies, those were the only relevant Ivies. Everything else is like... My dad thinks Harvard is the most overrated school of all time. Like, he might have the same now, but before it was just like that Holy Trinity. There's also Stanford. You can't forget Stanford. Right, right. But, yeah. but the, the thing is, my parents, uh, my mom loved Stanford because she actually lived in Palo Alto for work when I was little. So mm-hmm. she used to live there. She absolutely loves Palo Alto so much. My dad definitely thought that California was too far as a first move. So he was very much against me even applying to Stanford to begin with. But mm. because my mom was like, no, like Stanford, <laughs> uh, he let me apply. UC Berkeley and UCLA, I was not supposed to apply to those schools. I applied the day before, which if you know, is a bad idea because they have a separate app. It's That's not a big ass application. Big application. I did it the day before and I absolutely like BS the entire thing. There was no way I was getting into those schools with the like applications that I wrote, especially because on the UCs, you get 20 slots for extracurriculars, not 10. Mm -hmm. And you don't get an honors and awards section. So the night before the UC apps were due, I was like translating all my stuff over and it was it was a mess. It was awful writing. It was probably one of some of the worst applications I've submitted in the entire application cycle. And I got rejected from Berkeley, which like, as I should have, I very, very much deserve to get rejected from there. But I got waitlisted at UCLA, which I was like, okay. They saw the potential. They saw the potential. They saw the potential. If I had worked on it for more than three hours, they saw the potential. All right. So let's get into, before we talk about the ones you got accepted into and how you made your decision, let's talk about your general common app. Let's do that because most schools are some sort of like 600, 650 word essay. So how did you approach writing that big personal essay? And then eventually you don't have to share like the specifics if you're not comfortable, but what was the topic about in the end? So one of the biggest things I would say is that almost every school has a supplemental that asks you to explain why you want to go to that school and why you want to do the major that you want to do. Because of that, my approach with my common app was to do something entirely different. I knew that I wanted to do STEM. I knew that I was applying into biomedical engineering and I was going to have to justify why I wanted to do that major. So when it came to my common app, I was thinking, I don't want it to be about STEM at all. I don't want it to be about BME. I don't want it to be about what I want to do because I know that I'm already going to be explaining that in like 300 to 500 more words on the Mm -hmm. supplement. I don't want my application to be redundant, essentially. So I focused on the only extracurricular that just did not fit my profile at all, which was debate. And honestly, it came really full circle. Like I said, I immigrated here when I was seven. And at the time, I didn't know English. I was from a like small private high school, uh, sorry, like small private elementary school in India. I'd moved here for the first time. I not only didn't know English, I didn't know, I didn't understand the accents people were talking with, how fast they were talking. Like it, it sounded like gibberish to me. I didn't know how to like communicate very basic things to my teachers and stuff. It was very much like a character development experience, which I 
I will never understand how people are rude to immigrants or people who don't speak the English language when they come here. It's absolutely abominable being from somebody who's been on that side of things. It's just so cruel because they just because they don't know English does not mean that they deserve the treatment they get. Whatever. Different topic. So debate was kind of a very full circle moment for me because the entire activity hinges on communicating in the English language. So I was able to talk about the experience of when I first came here and all the struggles that came with not knowing the language to ultimately being on stage at NCFL Grand Nationals in 11th grade um, a year ago when I was writing my Common App um, and how that entire journey kind of helped me improve as not only an English speaker and a learner, but as a person, basically, to not like only show empathy, but to also... uh, be aware of what people are going through, um, not judge anybody based on how they talk or what they're saying, but then also about what that journey taught me about myself and my resilience and my perseverance. So I thought it was very different from the rest of my application, which is why I chose to go that route. I know a lot of people want to expand more on their love for what they want to do, but to be frank, I didn't have anything super extraordinary on that field. So I chose to go for this as my common app topic, and I feel like it worked out really well because I I submitted this as my personal statement. One essay, I always talked about my academics when they asked about why I wanted to do BME. And then Mm -hmm. usually another extracurricular, I mean, another essay, I would try to incorporate public community service, like volunteer work. Mm -hmm. So those were probably my three pillars. I tried to get personal, academic, and service in there throughout those three essays because I didn't want any of them to clash or overlap. So that was usually the strategy that I took when it came to filling up apps. So, and then can you quickly go over the MIT application? How does it differ from, because again, we know most schools are common app and they have like a couple supplemental essays. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about what the MIT application is, like how it's structured and then yeah. what you wrote about for that? The MIT application is a bear to be frank. It's you have to create a separate account. It's a whole new application. And essentially there aren't too many differences between it, but there's like the small differences that you wouldn't think would take a lot of work to translate over do. Like for example, they have an activity section, just like everybody else. They have an honor section and the honor section. What they've done is they've differentiated between scholastic and non-scholastic honors, which are basically like academic things you did in school versus things that you didn't. For example, in like scholastic, you would put like national merit scholarship semifinalist or like you'd put things like that Mm -hmm. versus a non-scholastic. You'd put things like debate or if you went to um, ISEF or if you went to whatever, ICDC, any any of those things you'd put in non-scholastic. So because of that, they had like different character limits and everything, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you've already compressed your entire thing into 140 characters, then having to go back and make it 250 is like, it takes takes some thinking. It's almost easier to cut than it is to add backwards just because you don't know where to add the words. But that that was the big thing. They also have four essays, but when I say they have four essays, they have so many more sprinkled throughout the entire application. I think I ended up writing eventually like eight or nine, ultimately. The four core essays are 250 words each, I believe. Those are primarily what your application gets based off of. But for example, they have small, like little 100 word, 150 word essays sprinkled throughout it. So I remember one of them was just like, tell us about your background. Like, tell us where you come from. And it's just like, it's so vague and it's so broad, but at the end of the day, you have 150 words to summarize your identity 
into this one text box. So things can get really, really difficult there. I think I worked on that application the most I've worked on any application. Sounds like and the other thing was my personal statement didn't go to them. So I had to figure out a way to make this 650 word essay that I'd written fit a 250 word prompt if I chose to go that route. And I ultimately, I didn't choose to go that route because I didn't think the story that I had to tell on my personal statement could have been done in 250. I felt like it would have been very rushed. So I kind of kept it very much academic. I kept it formal. I threw some more personal ones in there, but I had my entire application ready to go the day before the deadline I skipped school and I redid the entire thing I scrapped all of my essays I redid all of them mm-hmm. one of my friends who is a year older than me he went to Glenel and I knew him from debate last year actually he's now at MIT and he was probably one of the most instrumental people that I have ever interacted with during the college app process I asked him if he would be willing to read over my MIT essays He not only read over them and put feedback on there, he also asked two more of his friends currently at MIT to look over them and add their own individual feedback. He shared his essays with me and it just really put into perspective how much my writing lacked, honestly, which sounds like a very pessimistic way to look at it. But when you have three MIT students Mm-hmm. on these things it can get a little negative I, I remember one of them honestly this is kind of funny one of them commented on my story it was about like tell us about some important aspect of your identity or something mm-hmm. he commented on, on google docs and he was like is this meant to read as a political speech or did you like accidentally do that mm-hmm. <laughs> on another one of them he commented like this isn't your story. This is an immigrant story. Like this could literally be mapped to anybody who moved here. Like there's no you in this, which is very helpful feedback. But when it comes to you as bluntly as that, which is a good, it should have. Yes, it is. When it comes to you that bluntly, it's a little bit of a harder pill to swallow. Stayed up the entire day the night before, redid all my essays. When I turned my MIT application in, I have to say it was the proudest I have ever been of any application that I've submitted so far. And even though I got deferred early action and then ultimately rejected regular decision, I think I I don't think I would ever look back on it and be like, wow, like I wasn't good enough for MIT because everything I had, I put into that application more so than any of the other schools that I applied to for sure. So ultimately, I was happy with how things turned out because I was really happy with the way that I chose to approach this application, which is which is good enough for me, honestly. All right, so let's get into your acceptances, deferrals, rejections, waitlist, all of that. And let me tell you guys, when I opened up Instagram, when college decisions were coming out, Ashria was like, I got into another one, another one, and they're all top schools. I'm like, wow, <laughs> you were posting these. And I was like, damn. Like, I would open up the Instagram account. Oh, God. But yeah, I was so impressive. So I'll let you get into it. So again, which <laughs> so, college you got accepted, deferred, okay. Okay, I, the very first decision I got was Umich, and I was deferred early action for Umich. Okay. This is a very, very like crucial piece of advice. The schools that you care the most about write their essays last, which is not what people say. When I say last, I mean start as early as possible, but submit as late as possible. Because mm-hmm. I started off my college app process very coincidentally with schools that I did not care about that much. And that is part of the reason that I got into one to the ones that I did get into. Umich was the very first application I ever submitted. When I looked back on it, that essay was trash. But that exact same essay refined over the next four or five months 
was the exact same essay that got me into Hopkins and Duke and Penn and Carnegie Mellon. The exact same essay. All it took was time. But I got waitlisted. I mean, I got deferred and then waitlisted from UMish. I was at the airport on my way home from Cancun. And I opened that decision. And my dad was like, damn, like, you all deferred from UMish. Are you going to get into any of the other ones? Because, like, your only safety is UMD. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, what have I done? I should have applied to at least UMBC. Like, I'm sitting Mm -hmm. there in, like, the airport terminal seat, like, like, contemplating life. Uh Next one I got was Georgia Tech. I got into Georgia Tech early action. So after that was the infamous December 17th MIT. Um, I was deferred just like 90% of people. I was actually at a debate competition when I got this decision. I remember it very clearly because I did not want to be around people when I opened the decision. Um, Very sad, but expected. So I was just like, whatever, let's move on. Mm -hmm. After that came UMD. Now I have quite a story to tell about UMD. Girl, I know. At UMD, decisions released, I think January 27th. I was also supposed to be on the way home from Cancun. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a decision. All my friends had a decision. I didn't have anything. Mm -hmm. I ended up waiting two more days thinking, oh, there's some mistake, whatever. And I ultimately call UMD undergrad admissions. And I'm like, hey, I don't have a decision in my portal. And I applied early action. It's showing everything submitted. Everything's green. Like, why don't I have a decision? Mm -hmm. She's like, let me look on that. She comes back. She says, my application is incomplete. And I'm like, I submitted in October. What do you mean it's incomplete? I submitted it a week before the deadline. I see in my portal, everything submitted, test scores, transcript, everything's been received. What do you mean it's incomplete? She goes, so basically you mentioned in your application that you completed a Johns Hopkins summer course, which was iSpeed. I actually got, in addition to the $2,500 they gave me, they gave me three credits for it too, which I blows my mind. Anyway, mm-hmm. like, you mentioned that you did a four credit course in the summer. We didn't get a transcript for it. And I was like, I didn't know I was supposed to submit a transcript for that. How was I like, did, did you ask for it? Like, you know how they email you and they're like, we need these documents from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should have gotten an email right after you submitted your application around like December asking you to submit that. I am so OCD about Common App and college apps. I made a whole separate email account. I was tracking everything there. Like there was no way I missed this email if UMB sent it to me. So I'm like, could you please check? Cause I don't, I don't have anything from you. She goes back and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Our IT department forgot to send you that email asking for the document. Oh, so uh, I was like, you forgot to send it to me. So I don't have a decision. What do you mean? And she's like, so unfortunately, because your application has been marked incomplete for the past three months, we're not able, like our, your file was never opened in front of our admissions committee. So I like, we don't have a decision for you. That's so I was like, nightmare. Oh my God. I was like, am I still going to be considered early action? Like I submitted everything. My portal was all green and you forgot to send me the email. Like what, what was I supposed to do? She's like, okay, I'm going to send you the email right now. I want you to go onto the Johns Hopkins self-service, request that transcript immediately. Five to seven business days after we get that transcript, we'll give you a decision. Immediately, I was worried because when I was thinking of UMD, I was thinking of Banneker Key. For those of you that don't know, that's their full ride merit scholarship. It's given to, I think, 150 students out of 60,000 that apply are awarded the full ride scholarship at the end. I'm immediately worried because Banneker key decisions are set to come out. The semifinalist interview decisions are set to come out in approximately like three to four days after this whole fiasco happens. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not even going to have a decision by the time the final semifinalists come out. How am I ever going to get the scholarship? Yeah. Whatever. I go on to Johns Hopkins self-service. I'm hackling them every day for like five, five to 10 days. And I'm like, please, like, I need you to send this transcript. It's literally like the click of a button. Like, please. They're like, I can't expedite it. We have grads who need their transcripts. Like, 
it, it was a nightmare. It took two weeks. UMD got back to me a week after that. And I think in February, like mid-February, they said that I was accepted into UMD, which thank God, whatever would I have done without that. A couple of days after that, I get another, the, keep in mind the entire time I'm coordinating with this lady that I've spoken to over the phone. I'm like, I'm still going to be considered for Banneker Key, right? Like I'm still going to be considered. Yeah. And she's like, yes, yes, you will be. There's another student from my school who has the exact same issue that I did because he also took a Hopkins course and they forgot to email him too. And mm-hmm. they're telling him on the phone, oh, I'm really sorry, but because it's so late, you're no longer eligible for Banneker Key. So I'm freaking out because I'm like, I, I, I don't I don't know if I'm going to be considered or not. And even if this lady's telling me over the phone that, yes, you will be considered, it's so easy for people to say that and then just be like, oh, we reviewed your file and we don't think you're a good fit, like without ever having opening it. You know, like it doesn't actually matter. They don't have any account. How can they tell you that you're eligible, but then him that he's not? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I just trusted the lady that I was speaking to personally over the phone. A couple of days later, sure enough, I got the email that I was semifinal for Banneker Key. Okay. So I was like, okay, like, Great. Great. This is good. I set up my interview. I went there the day of literally ruled out the red carpet for us because they want to like convince all their BK kids to stay in state instead mm-hmm. of going to other schools, Um, like full, like catered dinner, like put private tours of the whole thing. Like it was insane. I did my interview. And then a week or so after that, I was notified that I got the full ride scholarship. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. So at this point I was pretty much set on UMD, but this was before Ivy day and the rest of my decisions came out. Yeah. After that, I got into Johns Hopkins BME on March 17th. I was rejected from MIT regular decision March 14th first, though. Mm-hmm. Um, Ivy Day, I was waitlisted at Harvard. No, I was waitlisted at Columbia and Princeton, rejected from Harvard and Yale, and accepted to Penn and Cornell. I was also accepted to Carnegie Mellon, Duke, Georgia Tech, UMD. Yeah, I think so. Seven acceptances. Waitlisted at UCLA, UMich, Columbia, Princeton, and then rejected from Harvard, Yale, Berkeley, MIT, and Stanford, okay. which is, I thought it was pretty good. I was happy with it the way things were. But at this point, I'm like dead set on UMD. I think that I'm going to UMD. And I'm like, okay, perfect. I even enrolled at UMD. Like I selected yes you to my- You posted on the Instagram page you're going to UMD. I posted on the Instagram page and I'm going to UMD. I was dead set on UMD uh-huh. for a couple of reasons. First of all, the full ride. And honestly, the full ride meant so much more because I didn't know what I was going to do. Because of that, I was like, oh, this full ride is perfect because I can basically explore all my options for free. You know, you don't have to worry about getting a degree in something and having paid like hundreds of thousands of dollars when I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even like like what I'm doing anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to worry about that essentially. So I was like, oh, UMD is perfect. But eventually that ended up So the reason that I kind of like started looking more towards Penn is because I realized that there really weren't as many things on the table as I kept saying there were. When it comes to engineering, I had already ruled out BME because I don't like wet lab bio, but that's not really like a big problem. The issue there more so was that Hopkins BME master's graduates were getting on median 100K salaries Mm -hmm. versus compared to the top schools. CS majors were making median 125 out of undergrad. So it wasn't nearly as lucrative as CS was. Also, it's just not that established of a job field compared to something like computer science where you know there's job availability and stuff like that. So for a lot of those reasons, I decided that BME wasn't really for me, which was fine. 
-hmm. After that was the other options in engineering were like mechanical and civil. And honestly, I'm not that much of a hardware person in general. I didn't think it was super like appealing to me. So I was like, I think that I need to stick with CS because these other engineering options don't sound super flattering to me because I'm just not that type of person, you know? And so that was fine, whatever. I did all of those things. And so ultimately I was like, I don't really see a lot for myself in engineering. If I'm not doing mechanical, I'm not doing civil, I'm not doing BME. Like what engineering do I keep saying is on the table? Cause I'm going to go to UMT and be a comp sci major. Like that doesn't, you know, necessarily mean anything. The other thing is when I was at Penn, I visited a Wharton open house. Wharton is their business school and it's the number one business school for undergrads in the country. This is their business school. And I honestly thought that it suited what my strong suits are so much. There was a lot of communication. It was a lot of negotiating, a lot of math involved, a lot of that side of things, which I've honestly never been that much of a techie person, to be honest. I'm much more suited for like more management material is what I feel like. Like I wanted to go into STEM, but ultimately into management. My normal, my idea with UMD was that I was going to get a CS degree from UMD and then try to go for an MBA afterwards so that I could get into management for some sort of tech company. Mm -hmm. But the big thing about Penn is that because they have Wharton, the entire thing essentially gets condensed. I was looking at rates for MBAs. Right now, MBAs cost $125,000 a year. It's a two-year program and they're appreciating at five to 6% every year. Most MBA programs also require two to four years of job experience. You so essentially, 125 per year. 125 per year. Those are the top ones, which is Wharton, UPenn Wharton, and NYU Stern. The top ones, 125. Oh. Because of that, I was thinking to myself, if I went to UMD and went the normal CS undergrad, MBA, postgrad, that route, I would need about eight years. I would get four years for doing my undergrad in four years, whatever. That would be entirely free. After that, I need two to four years of job experience. And then after those two to four years of job experience, I would be getting an MBA and I would be reapplying to these schools. I'd be paying, by the time I would get there, those rates would more realistically be like 150K instead of 125 with the appreciation. I'd be paying $300,000 for two years of an MBA. And this is at the end of eight years, I'll finally have enough job experience and enough education to go into STEM management. On the other side, because Penn has Wharton, obviously they gatekeep Wharton a lot because that's what they're so known for. And I feel like if a school is really good at something, they try to gatekeep it a lot. So I'm not really like holding on getting a double degree or like dual degree, whatever. But Wharton does have minors. And the thing about Wharton and business and finance in general is that unfortunately it is a field where prestige matters a lot. With CS, CS is so performance-based. Honestly, it doesn't matter where your degree is from unless it's like MIT or Carnegie Mellon. Um, doesn't matter where your degree is from, more so what is on your resume. What did you do? What kind of projects were you in? What hackathons did you win? What prizes did you win? Whatever, that kind of stuff. Business is not one of those fields. Unfortunately, prestige does matter. And ultimately, if you have a business finance degree from a school that's not one of the top three, which is like MIT Sloan, NYU Stern, or UPenn Wharton, it's not one of those top three. Unfortunately, it doesn't hold as much value as one of those three because there's so much on-campus recruiting. For CS, you are most likely not going to get like on-campus jobs. You're going to have to apply to them and then get them that way. With business, with these top-tier prestigious schools, they're recruiting recruiters lined up at the doors of Wharton, Stern, and Sloan trying to recruit these students. So essentially, if I could have some sort of connection to Wharton and some sort of undergrad experience, 
then and there on its own, that could be really, really valuable. And it could be a time, like time efficient versus going the MBA route. Yes, the money does matter. UMD was giving me a free ride and that does count for something, but that money doesn't save the time. It's not like I was getting a degree in less time and for free. It was still take the four years. I was still going to have to get an MBA because I'd have no business management experience at the end of it at all. And I would be paying $150,000 per year for two years for an MBA program versus paying $90,000 a year right now, which is still so exorbitant, $360K. But the hope is at the end of the four years of undergrad, I can jump right into industry with the degrees and the experience that I'll have from a school like Penn. Mm -hmm. That was the calculation. It was very much, it was very number-based. It was very analytical there wasn't that much emotion into it because like I said, I was dead set on going to UMD. I was prepared to go to UMD. I had literally posted on social media that I was going to UMD. So the fact like, oh, I want people to think I'm going to a prestigious school. Like that really didn't weigh into it that much because everyone already thought I was going to UMD. Like they weren't waiting for me to post, you know, Mm -hmm. it was, it was very much an analytical decision. I tried to take emotion out of it as much as possible, but my parents agreed with it too at the end of the day, which is a big thing for me because my dad had been so instrumental throughout this entire college app process. And he was like the number one UMD stan. So for him to be like, no, I think this is the correct route. I think we should go to Penn. Like that was a big thing to even hear at that point. That's incredible. So if you had not gone to admitted students, would you have even, you would have probably ended up at UMD? No. I would have gone to UMD if I hadn't gone to Penn admitted students day. And I owe that entirely to my mom because my dad and I are lazy. Waking up at six and driving two and a half hours to make this 30 admitted students day event was not on our radar, but she really wanted to go. And she really pushed us to go because she's super enthusiastic about this kind of thing. And I definitely do thank her for me ending up at Penn eventually. Good job, mom. All right. So we are coming to an end here. And one thing I always do, you're not in college, so you can't give advice about college, but it is almost summer. Juniors are starting to feel the weight of high school, the buildup of high school. So if you can give maybe one piece of advice, but if you want to make it two, that's fine. What is a general piece of advice that you would want to give for these juniors who are about to apply? And this can be just general life advice you want, like general high school advice or something specific to the college application process. I feel like if if you're like me, then at this point in your life, going into your summer before senior year, You were at a point where you felt like you had a good application, but not an exceptional one. And if I had one piece of advice, I would tell you that even right now, it is not at all too late to get to where to the point where you feel like you have a stellar application. And honestly, when it comes down to it at this time last year, I had one internship and that was it. That was all I had. But being able to apply to things like iSpeed and then getting that second internship and then getting that BME exposure and then getting those recommendation letters, that can start now if you want it to. You just have to, your ears have to be open at all times because people are going to talk about things. You're going to hear about things. You have to be one of those people that is able to act on the things that you hear But just know that it's not too late no matter when you start. If you're feeling like you're under a lot of pressure with whether it be like essays or even your extracurriculars, no matter what it is, you can still do it. If you're a rising senior, you still have plenty of time to build up that resume. You have plenty of time to develop a spike even, and you have plenty of time to work on your essays. Don't stress too much about it. But at the same time, that action needs to start happening now. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and just like as Shreya was saying, that's correct. But make sure you're not doing stuff just to fluff up your application, like joining yeah. a club randomly. Don't like be calculated. Yeah, it needs to be something with a purpose and a direction. Yeah, exactly. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, college admissions officers have read hundreds of thousands, if not millions of applications. They can spot pretty well when you did something for the sake of applying to the school versus when you do something for the sake of building up your own student repertoire, like your learning and how good of a sponge you are yeah all right so thank you very much Shreya this is very amazing. I, I was so happy when I saw it, seeing your Instagram acceptances <laughs> I was like oh my god this girl's going places so that's fantastic <laughs> thank and thank you. you for coming on today this was so much fun thank you so much I for know having- it was nice talking to you again after all these I know I, I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever <laughs> literally it was so great talking to you yeah all right have a good rest of your day and good luck with APs and stuff Bye.